It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall, the FT's world news editor. On the show this week, we'll be looking at US politics and whether the events of recent weeks have seriously damaged Barack Obama's presidency and his political authority. The past few weeks, we've seen Mr. Obama heading for a possibly humiliating defeat in Congress, only to be solved by a last-minute diplomatic initiative steered from Moscow. And we saw his favoured choice for the Federal Reserve Chairmanship, Lawrence Summers, withdraw from the contest, raising questions about Obama's handling of the whole issue. The question now is whether the Obama administration has stalled completely and whether he is in danger of becoming a lame duck president. Gideon Rackman, who normally hosts this show, is in Washington today and joins us on the line. And also joining us from Washington is Richard McGregor, the FTE's bureau chief. Richard, can I come to you first? Do you think the uh, label of lame duck president is fair? Well, it's it's starting to look like it uh, could be a fair label. I think it's unfair in one respect. I think there's a broader institutional crisis in America and the way that the, the system at, at many levels and in many areas is just being wrenched from its moorings. You saw that in the repudiation of not just Mr. Obama on Syria, but really the entire foreign policy establishment, which was rallying behind him. And that includes the Republican leadership in Congress. They got no support either from their respective political bases or from the American people, uh, which, you know, slapped them down. You see that in, you know, in the budget talks now uh, and the like. And it's very hard to lead in such circumstances. Uh, the corollary to that is that Mr. Obama is proving especially bad at it in not building constituencies broader than his own base and in not managing the kinds of circumstances that his office has to deal with no matter who is there. So second-term presidents are always lame ducks. It might be that he gets that moniker a little bit earlier than usual. Gideon, how do you, I mean, you're in Washington at the moment, but how do you think his authority is seen outside the US? I, I think it is in danger of diminishing. Before I came here I was, to Washington, I was in Berlin and London, and I think there was a degree of concern, almost horror, among the kind of foreign policy types in Europe at the sense that the US was unable to deliver on its promises. And I think we may have seen a new development in the kind of institutional gridlock here in, in the U.S., because traditionally it's applied to domestic policy. All presidents find it very frustrating getting stuff through Congress in domestic legislation, but have tended to have much more freedom of action on foreign policy. In fact, the kind of semi-joke is that presidents get interested in foreign policy in the second term because they realize it's the only place they can do anything. Now, by setting up this precedent that uh, he will go to Congress to consult them ahead of the kind of quite limited military strikes that other presidents, such as Clinton and Bush, would have unleashed without consulting Congress. President Obama may have introduced the threat of gridlock in foreign policy as well as in domestic policy. Richard, it was an absolutely extraordinary move for him to make. Uh, this is a president who's 
never found it that easy to do business with Congress at the best of times. And yet in this very, not quite desperate situation, but fraught situation, he he seemed to give up the initiative to the legislative branch. Why did he do that? Well, I think it was not just about Congress. It was about getting the U.S. public on board. I think, obviously, everybody in the U.S., Mr. Obama included, was really struck by the vote in the U.K. House of Commons and how that lost. And I think Mr. Obama obviously didn't want to go out on the limb politically on his own on a strike like this. Congress would have protected his flanks uh, to some respect. But I think he you know, had a broader, perhaps more noble aim in mind, which was to convince the public of his case and to do that, to give it legitimacy. I think Congress was important in that respect. But the result was that he fell flat on his face, frankly. There would have been reluctance in Congress anyway, once they had the slightest uh, contact with their constituents, where the phone calls pouring in their offices at about 100 to 0 against the strike, they wanted to support him even less. So, He had cynical reasons for doing it. He had good reasons for doing it. Whatever it was, it it fell flat on his face. And um, what happens next time he wants to do something? I think he's stuck uh, having gone to Congress with a sort of minimal military action. He's got to go to them all the time. And his chances there don't look good. And on Larry Summers and his withdrawal from the Fed chairman race, that's even more explicable, isn't it? I mean, uh, how come Obama failed to pursue a proper campaign and getting Congress on side? Well, that's right. This is It's a tale of mismanagement. It also may be a tale of uh, a poor choice in the first place, uh, politically, that is. Um, I mean, many of Mr. Summers' supporters are saying, well, simply, why didn't Mr. Obama, if he wanted Mr. Summers, and he did, get out in August a couple of months ago and just name him and then defend it in public? Now, we don't know why that is. It may be that the vetting process, which can be excruciating, went on for longer than we expected. But for whatever reason, the delay just left Mr. Summers hanging. The Republicans hung back. And on this occasion, it was really the Senate Democrats who did uh, Mr. Obama in. And it was really like the system still hasn't politically processed the financial crisis. And this was just regurgitated back up. Mr. Summers was the penata, the whipping boy in this respect. And um, they got him in the end. It was a simple numbers game. You know, he would not have got through his confirmation, or if he would have, it would have been at at a high cost to both him, Mr. Obama, and most importantly, the office itself. Gideon, do you think America's critics, opponents and enemies overseas will try and exploit Washington's apparent weakness? Well, certainly, if people get the impression that American military power has been taken off the table... That could have unpredictable effects on the international system because if you think about it, the whole global security system is constructed around American red lines of the sort that President Obama said he was going to enforce in Syria, whether it's uh, the military bases that the U.S. has in the Gulf or in in Japan and in East Asia. um, those, Those troops are there for a reason, not to be used, but as a sort of demonstration of American might. And if people think, well, that might isn't really there, that is... Uh, potentially destabilizing. And we could see, you know, the Chinese have been pretty adventurous uh, in pushing their territorial claims in the South China Sea and elsewhere. They may step it up a bit. Who knows whether how Iran is going to play their nuclear program? Will they be a little bit bolder now? Those are all possibilities. But I don't think one could say it's definitely going to happen for a couple of reasons. I mean, the Iranians are also under enormous economic pressure. So there are hints that they're actually interested in a deal for that reason. 
And also, I think people would be foolish to write off American military might, actually, once they really think about it, because Syria was mishandled by Obama. Uh, there clearly is a kind of semi-isolationist mood in the United States. And yet, on the other hand, Syria was a very tough case. There were very strong arguments on either side. It wasn't whatever the foreign policy establishment here may think transparently obvious that this was a good policy. If America's presented with a much more clear-cut case, somewhere where there's actually aggression across a border or the US itself is attacked, then I'm sure they would respond. Richard, looking ahead to the next um, few weeks, Obama is now facing a pretty horrendous uh, battle with Congress over the budget, um, finding short-term funding and raising the debt ceiling. This will presumably serve to galvanise the, the Democratic camp. But um, can Obama win? Well, uh, I think you're right. I think the Democrats will swing behind uh, Mr. Obama here. They've got a few quibbles with his position, but you know, by and large, uh, the Republicans uh, on fiscal matters are the best thing Mr. Obama has going for him. You know, the Republican leadership didn't want us to have the showdown that we're about to have. In other words, you, the government, you either shut down the government or don't lift the U.S. debt ceiling unless Mr. Obama defends Obamacare. I mean, it's really a ridiculous proposition, but that's the position they're in because of, I guess, the growing adventurousness, uh, strength of the uh, Tea Party-tinged groups within the Republican Party. So this, I don't think it helps Mr. Obama in the end, but it certainly helps by comparison uh, with the Republican Party. No one knows quite where we're going to end up here. Will Mr. Obama blink? At some stage, he might. But, you know, I still think if there's a government shutdown, the Republicans have the most to lose. Gideon, how do you see it? Well, I mean, it's it's almost baffling as a sort of occasional visit to Washington that they keep getting into this same, it's a sort of Groundhog Day gridlock in Congress over the budget. But I think it says something about the introversion of the American political system. What really matters to these people is, you know, the, who wins in these arm wrestling matches in Congress, and then the even more trivially in a way, who's up, who's down within, within Congress, who might be running for president, what it means for various individuals, political prospects. It's all kind of depressingly internally focused. And I think that they're in danger of losing sight of the fact that they're damaging the policy that they all rely on, the, the, the full faith and credit of the United States, how the markets and the credit agencies going to react to the possibility of a government shutdown, the uh, ability of American foreign policy to be seen to deliver. All of these things are being put at risk by the congressional kind of shenanigans that, that make it so hard to govern this place. What's sort of remarkable is that when you think of the situation that Obama inherited at the beginning of his presidency, a horrible recession, wobbly financial system, two wars from which he needed to extricate himself. It really was a pretty dire inheritance, if you like. And yet it's ironic, isn't it, that when things start to go much better, the economy, arguably extrication from Iraq and, and Afghanistan, things seem to go very badly for him on a political front. Well, it may be the case that that it's only when really faced with a precipice that Congress is prepared to act so that they did, you know, eventually pass the bailouts, the TARP and so on, because it did seem that the consequences were potentially cataclysmic. And also, it is the case that after a president has won his first mandate, if Congress is lined up on his own party, that that's kind of when they have their biggest opportunity to act. And, and Obama did get things done, not just repair work. He also got 
a big healthcare package reform go through, albeit a rather complicated one. So, you know, I think it's too soon, perhaps in the mood of the moment, to say, oh, well, you know, this whole presidency is going down in flames. I mean, the, the kind of uh, checklist that you ran through, historians may eventually conclude, was actually rather impressive that uh, this is a man who did end a couple of wars, write an economy, pass a major piece of social legislation, and who knows what he, what he may yet achieve in the, in the final three years. I think it's obviously too early to, to write those off completely. Richard, final question. Do you think he can achieve much in the final three years? Well, um, uh, as Gideon says, Congress will only do something when they're on the edge of the precipice. But as one senior Democrat said to me uh, yesterday, you've got about 50 or six Republicans uh, in the House of Representatives who, if they drive the car off the cliff, they think that's a success. Um, So I think it's very hard for him to do too much in the next three years, particularly as Republicans, uh, even though they are in disarray, have a very good chance of winning the Senate next year. And if you've got the House and the Senate against you uh, with the Republican Party in its present mood, his room to move is pretty narrow. Gentlemen, thank you very much. And that's it for this week. My thanks to Richard McGregor and Gideon Rackman in Washington. World Weekly is produced by Martin Staber. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.